Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wall Support. My name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and please welcome our three uh, homeless guests. We have Doug Gobeski. Hi. Kevin Bredevogue. I think that's true. Kevin Bredevogue. Hello. Thanks for having me on. And Paul Wilcox. It's great to be here. Well, I was informed there is no way home. Therefore, homeless. Yeah. No, you still have a home. You're just not there. Are you homeless whenever you're not at home? No way there, though. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, I guess. That might make a little difference semantically. (laughs) But yes, we are here to discuss the 76th installment of our Merry Marvel Movie March. Just in time for the new year, if you're listening on the day of release, assuming Charlie puts this out on the day of release, which is to say the day it's supposed to be released of January 1st. Happy New Year! And... Thanks for listening to our podcast about Spider-Man No Way Home, the December 2021 release. Spider-Man No Way Home is, of course, the story of one Dennis Spider-Man. He's back again, and this time he's trying to make it home for the holidays. But every flight he tries to uh, book in the airport because it's not really clear. I think he's just suspicious of modern technology. He doesn't want to do it online, rather do it in person movie kind of glosses over that but in any event uh every flight is booked except for three flights so he books it and then it gets canceled so he books another one and then that gets canceled and he books the third one and then the movie ends and in the middle there's like what would you say three hours of waiting in the terminal per flight it's a long movie is what i'm saying there's a lot of him watching cnn or msnbc on the the monitors above him I like the part where he turns around and then the camera turns with him so he can't see it, but he can still hear it. <laughs> Charlie, is this the actual movie? Did I get the description roughly right? Uh, I, I guess roughly. <laughs> that the, the title of the movie was correct. <laughs> well, you're welcome to do better in three sentences or less. Spider-Man No Way Home is the third Spider-Man installment with Tom Holland as the titular hero. This time, Peter Parker has been outed as Spider-Man, and it's causing havoc on his own life and his friends and family. So he decides to go to Doctor Strange and tell him to reverse everything that's happened by making certain people forget Spider-Man and not other people forget his... It was kind of confusing in that part, but... All right, that's three sentences. I think it's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you want a nice spoiler-free description. (laughs) It's kind of confusing at that part. Period. (laughs) TV guide writer is like, took care of it, nailed it. I was kind (laughs) of like Peter Parker at that part of the movie. I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Hold on. So I guess the question that we should ask is, have you tried the Reese's Caramel Big Cup before? Oh, no, but that sounds delicious. Well, I have one here on our Gobeski chocolate report to try. It was on clearance. A thing I'd never heard of was on clearance. <laughs> so obviously that bodes well. It's a big cup, so it's pretty big. I mean, it was $1.25 on clearance for this big cup, so it better be the best thing ever. What so, uh, what size is this cup, roughly? Big? Is like there a, one or two? Just one. Is it like a hockey puck, like a dinner plate, or somewhere in between? Uh, I guess if it was a hockey puck for like teddy bears, maybe. Sure, that paints a picture. <laughs> Extra large bubble hockey. 
It's bigger than like a standard peanut butter cup, but it's not as big as like a giant one you'd get at Cracker Barrel. Oh, it's like not the equivalent of the giant Hershey's Kiss that you just gnaw on for like six days. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If I wanted to, I could put this whole thing in my mouth, but I would be slightly uncomfortable while doing so. All right, so let me take a bite. Mm. So the caramel is like a layer on the bottom, and then peanut butter is above it. It looks like there's actually a layer of chocolate separating them. And it's fine. I don't hate it. It's not like the potato crisp one where I was like, what is this? It's a nice compliment. I'm not shocked, right? Like peanut butter and caramel go well together as plenty of other candy bars have established. That said, I think the ratio might be a little odd. It's a little too much peanut butter than caramel, which actually might be fine. Too much caramel might be. I don't know. I keep saying caramel instead of caramel. Um, (laughs) Too much caramel might overpower it. So, yeah, if this is your option at the gas station, it's fine. Could do worse. Rainy endorsement. Is it messy? No, no, it's your standard caramel. It's not. Yeah, it's not like a really liquidy, loose caramel that flows. It's not like a caramel caramel. Yeah. Does it need to exist? (laughs) (laughs) I think we're about to find out when it doesn't. (laughs) Five months from now. (laughs) Well, they've had them at the the checkout at the uh, gas station by me, but like they don't have a price on it. And when I saw the price uh, at 7-Eleven, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, it's not a $2.50. Yeah, for a single cup. I think this... It actually says the regular place was a dollar twenty-five, so I paid half of that. All right, that's a little more reasonable. That's, that's okay then. So it doesn't need to exist, no. But it's not that the world is a worse place because it exists. It is not the AI <laughs> Coke. <laughs> oh, that stuff was just. It, the only thing I remember was taking a note that it was terrible, and I can't tell you how it was terrible or what it was like or anything about it other than that. Yuck. That's that big question out of the way. Second question, perhaps more relevant to our topic, but maybe not as important, but had you seen this movie before? And that is to say Spider-Man No Way Home, not the movie Reese's Caramel Big Cup. (laughs) If that's a movie. What kind of movie would that be? (laughs) Reese's Caramel Big Cup? Sounds vaguely uh, inappropriate as a movie. (laughs) Yeah. If there's a flaming Hot Cheetos movie, there could be a Caramel That's Big true. Cup movie. <laughs> there's a flaming Hot Cheetos movie? Isn't there? Yeah, there is. So, like, the Reese's one, I imagine, is, like, a guy tries really hard and works his way up through the ranks and <laughs> makes this and then gets promptly fired <laughs> at the end of the movie. Flamin' Hot 2023, directed by Ava Longoria. Longoria yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mixed reviews. Based uh, on a true story? Yes. Released directly to Disney Plus and Hulu. Anyway, uh, I think Kevin was about to speak before Charlie began to ponder such a movie as Caramel Big Cup, the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to speak, and what I was going to say was I had seen the movie in theaters guess probably opening weekend 2021 maybe saw it once more between then and this rewatch now i had seen the movie before i did not see it in theaters because as you may recall from the sean chi podcast opening weekend was a bit fraught in the covid times so we had sort of decided well we won't go opening weekend we'll go after that so the weekend after opening weekend was when Omicron was surging out of control. 
So it was like, maybe not see this in the theaters. I think we eventually picked it up. I don't know if it was on sale or just when it came out on Blu-ray, just because we were like, well, we never saw it. We'll check it out. In the meantime, of course, because it was such a hugely popular and successful movie, it was spoiled for me just by existing and also being in a bookman's while two employees animatedly discussed critical plot points to each other. See, that's... I almost considered seeing this one, and that's one of the reasons, because there had already been some spoilers immediately, and I knew there was more cameos, and I was like, ah, maybe I actually want to see them, and I guess maybe COVID dissuaded me, or yeah, maybe I not never even got to the point where I was considering considering going to the theater. I don't know. Most of the movies around this story. time, no, <laughs> most of the <laughs> movies around this time, I, I was like, let's just wait. It, I think maybe, maybe I didn't think about seeing it. <laughs> well, all the that other movies in the March from this point on, like I didn't consider <laughs> this one. I whoa, think I whoa, considered. Whoa. whoa, what about the next movie? What's the next movie? Morbius. <laughs> anyway, you were saying before I so what's the correctly said? Like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Correctly said that I was being boring. Yes, <laughs> inspirationally pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it. The end. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't didn't see this either. I somehow managed to be like relatively unspoiled about it till like maybe a little bit today. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> today? I just you know I mentioned it you know at work that I was watching it tonight. You know? Oh no! <laughs> You made it two years. <laughs> oh, man, it was terrible when Aunt May died. Aunt May dies? <laughs> yeah, it was It was light spoilers. It was just like, uh, I think you just mentioned. They, uh, they told you Jeff Goldblum was in it. <laughs> that's, that's, all the, that's all the spoilers you need, because even if he wasn't, you know, <laughs> like, that's still a spoiler, because I expected him to be. <laughs> Wait, is it a spoiler if you expect it? It's a spoiler no matter what. Jeff Goldblum spoils everything. That's what I'm hearing here. He does by by stealing the show. Yeah, the actual spoiler was just me knowing about the presence of Tobey Maguire. But that was it. So did pretty good. Other than just general like trickle down, like knowing that there's multiverse stuff in the movie. I mean, I think I got Electro spoiled. And I think Doc Ock spoiled for me just by trailers and press releases and stuff but all the other specifics uh the inclusion of toby mcguire and andrew garfield that was spoiled by bookmans i think the charlie cox cameo was also spoiled but i don't think that was bookmans mm. i think that was just something else like i saw on the internet i like the idea of it being spoiled by bookmans like we should actually file a formal complaint <laughs> <laughs> i literally thought about yelling at them like hey we haven't all seen this yet but also it was like February or something. So <laughs> so that's oh, yeah, kind of late to still be talking about it. Even, you know, it's like you've passed the sweet spot. Oh, well, well, it had more staying power than uh, some other movies, I guess. It is the highest grossing film of 2021. It says it is the seventh highest grossing film of all time. Oh, the third highest grossing film of all time in the U.S. First film since Rise of Skywalker to gross over a billion. Anyway. Doug, had you seen the movie before? Uh, not until today. So I guess it depends on what you consider a spoiler, because uh, like now that you mention it, it's like, yeah, I'd heard that Charlie Cox was in it. I'd heard that uh, the other two Spider-Man, Spider-Man, 
Spider-Man? Spider-Man's. Spider-Man. Spider-Man's in the movie. Spider-Man's. I thought was entertaining. We're in it. Or not entertaining. Interesting from a linguistic point of view, but beyond that. And that it was uh, you know, something to do with the multiverse, but... Like, I don't feel like that really spoiled anything, because I just assumed that Spider-Man was going to be going into parallel universes. He was going to show up in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man universe, and then he was going to he was gonna slide through the multiverse to the Andrew Garfield one. So, you know, I just assumed that they were going to be either their own discrete parts of the movie, or maybe they were just going to have cameos, and that was it. So I don't feel like anything was really spoiled for me because that is definitely not how the movie played out. So I will say, I think because, at least for me personally, because of all the spoilers, I don't know that I really enjoyed watching it the first time because I think part of me was just waiting for the things I had heard happening in the movie, waiting for them to show up. So it was less like being excited and more like, all right, well, now when's Green Goblin showing up? When's Andrew Garfield showing up? And so because I spent so much time waiting, I, I just don't think I really liked it the first time. Like I'd left the, the, the movie thinking, yeah, that was OK, I guess. But eh. I do think my I liked it better this time around, though. I assume that Jamie Foxx was like, yeah, I'll come back and do it as long as I don't have to be that character. Oh, again. yeah, I know. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> it the whole time. It's like, let's just have Jamie Foxx be Jamie Foxx. <laughs> He'll yeah. sign on for that, right? You know what? Completely okay with that. I know, actually, oh, me too. It's, it's so much better. <laughs> I like how they wave it away with some like, oh, I've got my body back here or whatever. So that it doesn't have to be like <laughs> well, blowing blue man. The electricity is different, I believe, was uh, the... Uh, yeah. It's a new kind of power here. Mm-hmm. Electrons flow the other way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he could have been from the negative universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He could have been from the negative universe. Yeah. You don't know. I think Jamie Foxx was the only character that I didn't get spoiled <laughs> over the intervening two years. Oh, so Lizard, that one got spoiled for you, but not Jamie Foxx? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also Sandman. If, if that was spoiled for me, I didn't remember. But that's because you're not a uh, follower of the Church of Lowell. <laughs> Someone say Lowell. <laughs> the Church of Thomas Aiden. God, that was two years ago. <laughs> Bringing up Sandman reminds me. So I guess taking even a further step back, when I saw this in theaters, I, I would have given this an 11 out of 10. It was an amazing movie to see in the theaters where like the news about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield having been in it had not been at least widely disseminated. Maybe it was spoiled online, but I went in. I believe, if I remember correctly, Andrew Garfield just straight up lied and said, no, I'm not in it. I don't know what you've heard, but Absolutely. I'm not in this movie. They, and I then mean, afterwards, they... they called him out and he was like, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> <laughs> but like when, I mean, everyone had seen the trailers, like when Doc Ock shows up, it's not like the audience reacted or anything like that. But like when the Spider-Mans showed up, Everyone was hooting and hollering again. Amazing theatrical experience, 11 out of 10. And this rewatch, and again, when you said Sandman, it made me think of this. It is, if you're paying attention, very obvious that this was filmed during COVID. For reasons like uh, Sandman, 
is entirely CGI and a voice. Even the shots yeah. of him at the end becoming Thomas Hayden Church, I looked this up, are shots from Spider-Man 3 played in reverse of him turning into the sand to begin <laughs> oh, with. Oh. Like, um, the bit, same thing with the lizard. I mean, like, I don't think he was physically on set that entire time. There's an inordinate number of shots where, like, it's clear the actor's are not either they're not close to each other or like it's a shot of just Tom Holland talking to someone off screen and then like another guy like there's relatively few shots of multiple characters all together at the same time and again even when they are together more frequently than not they're spaced out and I'm not saying that makes it a bad movie but it was it was distracting once I noticed it. Like, this is one of the few Marvel movies, and I still love this movie, that was worse on rewatches just as a result of some of these little things that kind of bugged me along the way. Did anyone else notice anything along those lines? Nope. Honestly, yeah. I can't say I did, but... No, no. So not would really. you say it's better or worse than Liza Minnelli in season four of Arrested Development? Oh, season four? I haven't watched that since it came out. God, when was that? Like 2013, 2014? I just remember it being very obvious that Liza Minnelli is nowhere near any set. <laughs> it, this, is, there, this is for Tony, by the way, who could not be here. He's going to be here, but he unfortunately is not feeling well. So There were enough scenes with at least like the core characters together that like I don't think it... It was end of the world bad. And again, when I watched it in the theater, I'm just excited watching Spider-Man hang out with other Spider-Mans. So probably not that bad, but like on repeat rewatches, if you go in knowing that this is something that had happened, that COVID was going on, they were trying to space people out. It is it is certainly noticeable. Doesn't necessarily make it a worse film, but just there were some shots that could have been better if they could have had more than like one to two characters right next to each other at a given time. So just to be clear, by listening to this podcast, you, the listener, are actively having the movie made worse. Correct. That is like if you go and watch it again. <laughs> I, 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 again, that was that was kind of my experience. At end of the day, I'm still going to give this a very high score. I love this movie, but since I'm crapping on it, I will continue to crap on it. The, <laughs> okay, the, Charlie. <laughs> bad plot poor characters oh, very I, obviously filmed in covid nine out of ten it is it is very obvious i mean as anyone could say like when someone said hey we want to get all the old spider-man villains in this movie and then they decided to construct a plot around that but like i feel like there are glaring issues even with the plot like came up with like Electro never knew who Spider-Man was, and the whole premise is that people who knew who Spider-Man was got pulled into the universe. And even at the end of the movie, he makes a joke about thinking that he had, like, oh, I wish you were black. Like, I wish you'd been a black guy. I thought you were a black guy. Like, the the plot, even by, like, comic book standards, really holds up to extremely little scrutiny. Just to add to that point, the post credit scene of Tom Hardy as Venom, and I'm like, does this dude even know who Peter Parker is? Exactly. <laughs> it was already the thinnest of plots, and they didn't even bother to stay consistent within that thin of a like reason to throw all these characters together. Maybe Doctor Strange got it wrong. Like maybe can... his explanation of who got pulled in was just not, you know, a hundred percent correct. 
I agree. It is so extremely like, easy to like justify this, and even things that I've thought of, like to justify. Uh, Doctor Octopus explains that the Green Goblin is Norman Osborn, which in the Spider-Man movies, the original Spider-Man movies, I don't think that ever came out. So it makes no sense he knows that. But you could just say he's a variant. He's not exactly the Doc Ock from that movie. He's just whoa, a slight whoa, whoa. variation on him. Uh, we we officially don't know about variants yet. Sorry. Well, okay, when I say variant, I literally just mean in the multiverse, it's not literally the Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2. It is a Doc Ock from a universe that had an extremely similar series of events as Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, in which case, like, in, in that universe, the Green Goblin's identity was revealed. Like, well, it's, it's Alfred Molina, though. It's the same guy. What? It is the same actor, but... Whereas, like, Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield are not the same guy. I rest are my case. sure? <laughs> I had troubles telling him apart in the final battle. That's kind of true, by the way. I did have <laughs> I was like, they, which Spider-Man is this? They have somewhat similar suits, kind of by design. <laughs> oh, to the Venom point, I think, and I spent a lot of time on Reddit after this movie came out. I think the, the, the argument there is that the Venom symbiote is some sort of multiversal entity so that's why Venom, at the end of Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, recognized Spider-Man, I think, when he came on the TV. So though Thomas Hardy had no idea who Spider-Man was, maybe the Venom hive mind did know who Spider-Man was and knew that he was Peter Parker because he wore him as clothes for a while. I'm just going to say that that theory will get increasingly harder to defend after the next movie in the March. Which is the next movie? Morbius. Oh, yeah. No, I never saw that, but I know what the extra or end credit sequence is about. And yeah, that's Sony. So what Kevin's teaching me now <laughs> is that maybe I should write a Marvel movie. And it yeah. doesn't matter whether I know anything because the fans will explain it to me after I've written it. <laughs> <laughs> Win-win. Do anything you want. (laughs) The first hour or so of explanations of why the things that are happening are happening, to me, especially on a review, are kind of rough. But there's so much that I love, even in that first hour, and especially from probably the hour mark onward. I don't remember exactly where the hour mark is, but particularly once... 60 minutes in. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Whenever uh, Willem Dafoe becomes a major character onward, like that to me, spectacular. I mean, whoever, whoever in Marvel or Sony, wherever, realized that there is no mask that is scarier than Willem Dafoe's face and decided to just have him like maskless for the rest of the movie was a genius because he is a hundred times scarier as the Green Goblin in this than he was in Spider-Man 1. I really, really love this movie in spite of the flaws that I've just detailed. One thing to add to that that Brienne wanted me to mention because she watched the first half of this with me. When we see uh, Harry Osborn at Feast, which... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's actually a Spider-Man video game reference. Let me immediately the comics. correct you when you're wrong. His name is Norman Osborn, not Harry Osborn. Harry Osborn is his son. Oof. 
I feel really bad about that. <laughs> better cut that. Can't make it on the podcast. Guys. Yeah, I would. Uh, you know what? I appreciate that. Undermine their confidence in the mission. Because I was incredibly confused because I didn't remember Harry Osborn in this one. And I was like, that's not the Green Goblin we got here. <laughs> we got Dane DeHaan. <laughs> oh, yeah, I actually was expecting Dane DeHaan to show up uh, for for a while there, though. Oh, I was actually getting kind of excited because I was like, oh, if Dane DeHaan shows up, Adam's going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brianne turned to me while watching this movie and went, I like this movie, but I'm pretty sure Charlie's going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why? She's like, because it's just so much fan service. I was like, oh, that's fair. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Not, out here. <laughs> not because of the battle on top of a gigantic shield at the end? <laughs> she had left by the time that started. So oh, she, couldn't re- she didn't remember that. Oh, okay. I have questions about that, but set, hold off on that. Okay. Um, yeah. So regarding the appearance of Norman Osborn at Feast, he's wearing like a green sweater and a purple like hoodie. And Brianne appreciated that. And she was like, that's the sort of thing I would do if I were costuming this movie. And then when he has it like on it, like the hood up, kind of like the comic book version looks, she was like, yep, that's why. And One thing that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has uniformly done right in its good movies and its bad movies, I'm not thinking at least of any counterexamples off the top of my head, maybe Taskmaster, is they do such a good job of reproducing the outfits, the uniforms, the costumes from the comics, where like if you look at the early 2000s X-Men movies where everyone's just wearing black leather, like you see something completely different to a comic ish realistic green goblin even again the 2000 whatever spider-man movie had him in that weird goblin mask flight suit thing and here they very practically adapted the comic look and it it was fantastic i appreciate that good or bad as the movie may be their costuming has been wonderful throughout one thing that since we're talking about brand things things that brand wanted me to bring up uh one thing that she wanted to ask the physicist oh boy all right in the room um she wants to know why when electro is attacking spider-man and sandman is blocking the bolts why he's not turning into glass is uh, because he's a fictional character a good answer because <laughs> otherwise no, yeah you'd that, think that the heat and energy <laughs> on this podcast maybe he's moving around the sand molecules in his body so fast that none of them absorb enough energy to transform into glass well i'll go with that you can tell her that i was wondering whether he was going to <laughs> turn to glass or not <laughs> didn't well, bother me that he, he didn't told but her- on this podcast. Oh, that's true. She listens, yeah. I mean, how much glass do you really get out of a lightning bolt? You know, it's not much. So yeah, but it's, it's more than just what was a happening and you bolt. just didn't notice it. Like, that's more than just a lightning bolt happening. Like, well, that's a you, lot of lightning bolts all at once. Okay, but you also have to consider that, you know, when you get the lightning bolt glass, you know, at the beach or whatever, you're dealing with bulk sand, Whereas this was like particles of sand flying around. So you could probably melt them and there wouldn't be enough other particles of sand nearby to aggregate with them to give you like big chunks of glass. You would at most get, you melt it and then it refreezes in about the same size as it was before. 
So then why aren't the lightning bolts just going through him if that's the case? Um, I choose to believe it's something about path of least, least resistance. And so because air is an insulator, maybe, I don't know, is molten glass also an insulator? Glass would be an insulator. Yeah, but molten glass. I admit I cannot speak for the various states of matter of glass, nor can I speak for an air-based glass or a gaseous glass. <laughs> Have you considered that the electricity is like different here in this universe? Yeah, that's the other. Yeah, I think Paul. <laughs> Maybe in the Spider-Man Three universe, when lightning hits sand, it doesn't turn into glass. I mean, they just don't have <laughs> which glass one is in canon that universe? in in our minds? You know, like the the Raimi verse. Like, I, we are living <laughs> in the Raimi verse, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no, physics is different in the MCU or whatever. You know, we we definitely do not have fusion reactors that you can fit into a loft. <laughs> <laughs> that we know of <laughs> yeah they didn't have that either it failed it made too much power it was yeah too it good. worked too well that's right they had to shut it down god i love that movie i watched spider-man <laughs> 2 like 50 times growing up and i cannot stress enough outside of the complaints that i already registered i have nothing but positive things to say about this movie if you had told 15 or 16 year old Kevin, however old I was, that there was going to be a sequel featuring Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Like I, I would have lost my mind. I, I loved Spider-Man one and Spider-Man two so much that like, I have distinct memories, my freshman year of college of going frame by frame through the Spider-Man three trailer, like just trying to catch everything I could possibly catch. My friends and I joked about how after Spider-Man 3, I did unrelated to that, go to the hospital for several weeks for a disease. And everyone... Well, see, we all blamed Spider-Man 3, and particularly my disappointment after like a year of build-up as the thing that gave me Guillain-Barre syndrome and paralyzed me briefly from the waist down. It was bad. Yeah, it it was a bad summer, that summer of freshman year, but I sprung back much more quickly than uh could have been the case i mean i watched i watched spider-man 2 so many times does anyone remember the character of bernard from spider-man 2 uh not by name he had one line or maybe two he he comes in as harry osborne is pouring over i don't know he's drinking he's trying to get spider-man killed and he's like i'm going home for the night sir and harry osborne says like okay good night bernard and he pronounces it Bernard, a thing that we all picked up on in my family, because as noted, I watched this movie a million times and made my family watch it a million times. And then Bernard says, your father only obsessed over his work. I have to assume <laughs> that he was like related to someone involved in production because oh, he had geez. literally one line and then suddenly became a not focal, but bigger than expected character in Spider-Man 3 that like he stood out and I still think about him like <laughs> I still think about him on a day-to-day basis I think about Bernard it's it is absolutely a nepotism thing I'm trying to remember who it is it's somebody's dad is that right that it makes perfect sense because we talked about this at the he, time he has literally in spider-man 2 two lines but if i went to my mom right now and said your father only obsessed over his work she would laugh and know what i was referencing like <laughs> it's just all of that is to say spider-man 2 was an enormous 
part of my youth. And while I don't remember exactly why I started ranting about this now, it's this Bill movie... Bill Paxton's dad. <laughs> was Bill Paxton involved in that movie in any way, shape, or form? I think it's just like Sam Raimi and he knew each other or maybe knew his dad or something. Interesting. So Since I think he, he only shows up in like Sam Raimi films in little tiny roles like two or three times. Since I'm on a complete tangent now, uh, it was going to be revealed in Spider-Man 3 that Bernard was a hallucination caused by the goblin serum in Harry Osborn. And he was going to, after his final scene with Harry, in which he tells him that he tended to his father and that Norman had died by his own blades from that goblin glider, he was going to suddenly fade away into nothing and... Yeah, end of story. So he wasn't even going to be a real person. He was going to be a ghost of some sort or a hallucination. Is that true or just a rumor? I thought that, that was a rumor. I had like read theory. it. I had read it, but I admit I don't know. Now, one reason that doesn't really carry weight is that he was in every single movie. Even in the first Spider-Man movie, he briefly made an appearance. I don't remember exactly why he was says something like, oh, I tried to stop them from getting in. I don't remember if someone was trying to talk to Norman Osborn from the uh, the press or, or whatever, but it doesn't really make sense that multiple people would have interacted with this hallucination, but it, yeah, it's something I had read. Does anyone remember what I was starting to say when I started rambling about <laughs> Bernard? Uh, he likes Spider-Man Bernard too. may have yeah. killed you or something, or was going to kill you because of Spider-Man 3 disappointment or something? Oh, yeah. I think I was talking about how much I adored those early Spider-Man movies, excluding three. And that even if this movie had been complete garbage, probably I would have loved it. So that it wasn't complete garbage. And really that for me, it fixes, it fixes so many problems in the preceding Spider-Man series. Like I feel like it makes Spider-Man three more tolerable I think Andrew Garfield is a huge standout in this movie. I watched I watched the two Amazing Spider-Man films, and the first one was fine. The second one was really bad. And this, like, this made him a worthwhile entry to the Spider-Man canon. When he when he saves MJ near the end of the movie, and he starts like kind of choking up, like that was that is absolutely one of my favorite moments in the mcu and that's when i didn't even care about his relationship with gwen stacy in his own movies uh it is nice to see that they got all the actors back or at least their voices and it did sort of impress upon me like how good the actors are and maybe that's because they didn't bring dane DeHaan back but <laughs> but just you know franco either yeah I suspect that might be for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but just like, yeah, watching how good Alfred Molina is, watching Jamie Foxx actually get a chance to, like, not be Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2 Jamie Foxx. <laughs> Willem Dafoe, obviously, just, like, an absolute treasure. Like, if they had made this movie and only brought him back from, like, other universes or whatever, I think it still would have been worthwhile. Just because he's so good, and it's so great to see him back. Unknown actor, Willem Dafoe. Where'd this guy come from? <laughs> Says Gen Z. <laughs> Do you remember I that? Think... <laughs> oh, from the meme? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, oh. you said the thing from the meme. Speaking of <laughs> memes, exactly. Was that, did people feel like the power of the sun in the palm of my hands and the I'm a bit of a scientist myself entries were relatively natural or did that feel a little forced? Um, uh, a bit of that? a scientist myself felt to me a little forced, but I... Yeah. I will admit to not really being familiar with memes and just kind of remembering that vaguely from like the whatever the first movie or something. So to me, it was just like, okay, callback. I and the power of the sun thing, like for me, like completely fine. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what he was trying to do in Spider Man 2. Great. I haven't watched it in a little while. So this doesn't <laughs> stick out to me. Yeah, the power of the sun one felt completely natural. The bit of a scientist myself was a little bit. Like, it was the sort of thing where, you know, you do the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think the Willem Dafoe one. But I still liked it. It was funny. Yeah, exactly. I like take it out, but it's like, you know, this says more about me than I'm cringing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more natural than I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Let's oh. say that. At least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that did happen. <laughs> not anymore they got rid of that timeline did Thanks, they <laughs> i mean uh, yeah speaking of costumes just to go back i hear uh hugh jackman's in the the blue and gold in deadpool 3 so that is exactly why i was asking if that timeline was really gone or not well i don't know that deadpool movies count i'm pretty sure they're their own thing <laughs> But also in Deadpool 2, it's James McAvoy and them. So I guess that is the new timeline, right? Yeah. I Jackman guess, um, is in that timeline. It's just not. Days of Future Past, I think, bifurcated the timeline. So the original, like, X Men 3, The Last Stand universe is now different than the. I don't know that real X-Men universe is a phrase that makes any sense in this context, but like the, the new mainstream Fox X-Men timeline. Have we revisited the original other than maybe Logan? And Logan's kind of its own thing, so. There. Game, set, match. Mm, not that I am able to comment on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I liked Andrew Garfield too. I... <laughs> Well, go back to it. Yeah. I think that's where we started off, wasn't it? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, but I I always felt like I'm more excited to see Andrew Garfield than I am to see Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. <laughs> like, oh, I really like Andrew Garfield. I didn't like the movies, but. <laughs> but then yeah, how about Tobey Maguire coming back for this one? I really like the youth pastor joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like oh, his performance. Great. Yeah, like it's just very a little bit more subdued and relaxed than the Spider-Man we oh, remember, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He's grown up, grew up. Yeah. You know? Although yeah. part of me wondered, since all these people were coming back prior to the moment of their death, if that meant these two Spider-Mans were about to die. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Sorry, to jump back to my earlier point, the lizard never actually died in the movies, so another point, or Venom for that matter, who I assume in the next Venom movie is going to reference these events. Just uh, loose they're, plotting. They're going to bring back uh, Topher Grace. Uh. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with that. I would watch that. Tale of Two Venoms? Let's do it. <laughs> Ooh, Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'd rather watch that than Madam Web or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm sure Madam Web's going to be fine. Nothing against Dakota Johnson. I just think Sony is trying to make this Spider-Man universe try- happen a little too hard. Are there any other cameos that we haven't of the from the previous Spider-Man movies that we haven't talked about? I think we got through everybody. From the Spider-Man movies, yes. Uh, did we talk about the tree monster? I think that was just a tree, dude. <laughs> we haven't mentioned the Daredevil cameo, did yeah. folks? Which is a genuinely nice cameo. I Absolutely. It is a genuinely nice cameo, but I mean, I had seen the show, so I knew what was going on. The only thing, just as we started to talk about it, I wondered is like, if somebody didn't know what that was, like, how would they have felt about that scene? Wouldn't you just I kind of like, wondered confused? that about the whole movie, though. Like, if this was <laughs> yeah. your first Spider-Man movie, like, or even if it was just like you'd only seen the Tom Holland ones, like, did this make sense to you? Right. Were you just like, I don't know what's happening anymore. I guess we're hur- hooray for that lizard person, the dinosaur man. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I thought the lizard was just going to be just like a joke. Like, yeah, he's a CG character sitting in a cell by himself and he wasn't going to actually be part of the action later. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, seeing Charlie Cox as Daredevil instantly made me feel warm, happy thoughts about his portrayal of Daredevil. Him catching the brick and saying it was because he's a very good lawyer, got a big laugh in the uh, theatrical <laughs> showing. <laughs> so what do we think about the general plot of Tom Holland is there to help cure the spider villains do we like that do we not like that do we think about it at all what do you mean there to cure the spider-man villains i don't i don't agree with the basic premise here well that that felt like a a large i mean a big plot point to me at least that you know once he realized that most of these characters were about to be sent back to their deaths and kind of you know pointing out that the first Pretty much every Spider-Man movie minus Spider-Man Homecoming led to the death of the villain character. It's, well, and Spider-Man 3, if you count Sandman. I I liked it. I think it kind of set the Tom Holland Spider-Man apart in some ways, that he was really interested in helping all of these people as opposed to just punching them because they were bad guys. I mean, the, the scene where he ends up fighting Doctor Strange. I mean, the whole conflict is Doctor Strange just wants to send them back to fix the multiverse, which is actually a pretty fair take where Tom Holland Spider-Man realizes that half of them are mentally ill and wants to actually help them in part because of, you know, Aunt but, but not upbringing. through therapy, not through therapy, through <laughs> through science and magic. Hold on here. So. To be clear, in the previous two Tom Holland movies, we never got the with great power comes great responsibility, did we? He, in Civil War, has a line that's close enough to that in concept that we, the fans, were like, hey, hey, he said the thing at the time. It was something like... But it wasn't exactly the same, right? It wasn't literally with great power comes great responsibility, no. So... Aunt May says that to him, right? Uh-huh. And later, even though we've already established, you know, he's trying to help these guys, right? Later, he is literally attempting to murder Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin with the glider. 
Well, a little bit happens okay. between those two moments. We yeah, agree yeah, with that, on, right? <laughs> this, this is like the people saying that the Republican Party is the party of Lincoln. Like, look, it is the trigger phrase that causes Spider-Man to kill. <laughs> all right we're keeping so that that's why he wasn't that theory trying to in. kill people previously because he hadn't been triggered yet he hadn't been activated yet it's like a manchurian candidate that, <laughs> i do need to murder all of these people so in the uh trivia game that i play um there was a question today about like who had sent a tweet saying something to the effect of see it wasn't me who was responsible of rest in peace queen elizabeth and you had to answer who it was and the answer is <laughs> reggie jackson because of the naked gun movie <laughs> <laughs> so that was in my head lately as uh people conditioned to kill when certain things happen so i guess aunt may let's talk about it because i don't know i was kind of conflicted with that i didn't see it coming for sure. I had that I was not spoiled on. I didn't know that was gonna happen. But the sort of repeat of the like great power, great responsibility thing, and then her dying being like, Oh, I know one of the things I complimented about the first Tom Holland movie was we didn't have Uncle Ben die. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well we got there, but also that's kind of what the movie's about, so like I don't know. I'm still kind of like trying to figure out what to think about it. Definitely looked at the gravestone at the end and noted that Ben's name is not on there. So maybe in the MCU, there is no Uncle Ben. Right, right. Which I thought was kind of interesting. I liked when Zendaya repeatedly threw bread at Andrew Garfield. I thought that was an enjoyable <laughs> moment. <laughs> uh, point of order. Uh, isn't it Zendaya? Oh, honestly, I do not know. It is Zendaya, I believe. Zendaya. Yeah, you said, yeah, you said Zendaya. So we're going, we're going Harry Osborne on your ass. Here. I think this is a little different than the completely wrong name situation, but <laughs> I will take the knocks. Or you so could just that, say it again. You can say it again. No, it. I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> One take, Kevin. So yeah, I guess we kind of skated around it a bit, but just to bring it back, do you like that he's trying to help these villains? I do. I mean... It's been a long time since I've read Spider-Man comics, but the idea that he's willing to put himself out there and even go against his former Avenger friend, Doctor Strange, to try to help these people indeed. It it feels fundamentally Spider-Man-y that he's, you know, doing his best for these people trying to murder him. I mean, uh, I don't oh. I don't feel like he's the sort to just go <laughs> him and slam that button. <laughs> Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a different sort of angle instead of just like, yeah, let's solve the problem. However, we're going to solve like however the problem gets solved. Like he had a specific goal to secure everybody. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, they could have solved the problem right away. Just hit the yeah, button. hit the button. Mm-hmm. He could have hit the button at any time. Doctor Strange is like, just hit the button. <laughs> just just I hit really the button. Just couldn't help but you know feel like I don't know why, but like at that scene, right at the scene when Doctor Strange is like conjuring his magics and whatever and peter parker keeps making requests like i just really felt like it turned into a programming movie at that <laughs> point <laughs> and, and my, the business requirements were changing and like you know and so at that point i was like yes the let's just reverse it just send them all back but uh i did think it was a good premise just, just roll but, back the uh, update yeah exactly i was like i can see why Doctor Strange is being a little bit prickly about this, 
especially when you got like a young, fresh-faced kid who's like, "No, wait, I can fix the thing that I screwed up through more complex logic." Despite the fact <laughs> it didn't occur to me to talk to the university. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, look, I, I know what it looks like, but I have specific technical solutions for all of these individual <laughs> villains. <that> I've just met. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the high school lab. They have everything yeah. we need. They got water bottles. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I like the dynamic between Doctor Strange and uh, Spider-Man, though. Like where it's Doctor Strange being like, you know, oh, I forgot you were just a kid. You know, you, I know what we're supposed to do here. Like, this is the solution. And then Tom Holland, like, refusing to believe that that's, like, what he should do and, like, actually ending up being right. Like, oh, sometimes you just need a different perspective on it. Things don't always have to be the same. I, I guess I agree. But it's a stretch to say that Tom Holland was fondamentally right because he did nearly destroy R and a million other universes and ultimately had to sacrifice everyone that he's ever known knowing who he is to set things right like that's that's a pretty enormous sacrifice and again but that's he just did... the same outcome that dr strange was willing to do just without even asking any further questions well no 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 <laughs> see there's the difference peter parker at the end of the movie has literally been erased from existence before people were just going to forget that peter parker was spider-man oh, now no one knows like he's even a person and there's he's like in the box that he brings into his sketchy apartment He's like, he's studying for the GED because, like, he has nothing. No social security number, no, like, high school diploma. What what I do kind of like about this is the entire first three Spider-Man movies functionally are like a Spider-Man origin story. Because by the end of this movie, he is that poor, absolutely no connections spider-man character that some folks were kind of complaining he hasn't been this entire time he no longer has billionaire financier he knitted his own costume and is going out into the world well if anything's taught me about a dramatic ending like that to an mcu movie it's that we can undo it in the next one (laughs) very possible (laughs) it was a big doubter of an ending though a little bit I, i did i did feel like the tone of the movie was kind of fun through a lot of it but Right from Aunt May to the very end. I um, uh, I kind of appreciated of that, though. Yeah. I mean, that's because that's what Spider-Man's all about, is he's just this dude trying his best. Horrifying things happen to and around him. Every now and then, he has to sell his marriage to the devil to save <laughs> his, his dying aunt. Like, these are the horrifying things that happen in Spider-Man's life, and he just keeps chugging on. Okay, so you mentioned that, and I I thought to myself as I was watching the movie, hmm, giant magical interventions that completely rewrite the story of what's going on to this point. It's absolutely that. Yeah, this, <laughs> is, <laughs> this is perfect, spot-on Spider-Man comic translation to the silver screen. Completely <laughs> agree. So comic book people, Ned with the portals, and the cape is that a easter egg for something or is it just ned gets to have some fun in this in in some universe or another i don't remember if it's a character named the same as ned or if it's kind of like a character who fulfills the same role as ned i think becomes the hobgoblin i 
think yes well ish so at one point ned leads in the main universe is revealed to be the hobgoblin after the hobgoblin's death spider-man writers at the time bitterly complained about that but were overridden by editorial and then i believe that got walked back once new editorial people staff came in they undid that but i don't know where we're currently at regarding that but i think that may possibly be why he says something to the effect of I'm not going to become a supervillain and try and kill you. I liked that. <laughs> and no, the way the other two Spider-Mans like, give him a thumbs up when he says that. I love the like pat that Andrew Garfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> sure, buddy. Like the, That's nice. Really like that choice. <laughs> but yeah, I suspect that line of dialogue is partly because that happens in the Spider-Man comics at one point. But there's nothing like he becomes the apprentice to Doctor Strange or... Not that I'm aware of, but that doesn't mean it's not, like, could be in the Ultimate Universe for all I know. But, yeah, I'd have to look that up specifically. I liked seeing the Mirror Universe again. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I like how Peter realizes that it's math. He's good at math. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And speaking, like, I know Doug had mentioned that plot point about the MIT stuff. And I'm like, two things. One, if you can make, like, your own web shooters... You should probably be <laughs> be able to get into MIT pretty easily and not too worried about it. And then, like, what's the point of going to MIT when, like, you're Spider-Man? <laughs> uh, education is worthwhile, Charlie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's why he needs to go to a fancy school. Uh, no, so I was thinking to myself, why isn't he, like, applying to, like, I don't know, state university? And it's because... The fancy schools get you networking opportunities. And now that his big networking buddy, Tony Stark, is dead, he needs to, you know, backfill that somehow, rebuild, right? That's that's the point of going to I fancy guess. Ivy League schools. And, Spider-Man, don't you just say, I want to meet stuff, somebody? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to meet somebody. I'm Spider-Man. I'm going to swing up to their window. I mean, I don't know. As as an aside to that point about his billionaire financier, I did like that they at least somewhat dealt with the legal ramifications of a billionaire giving a, whatever he is, 18-year-old, access to murderous drones. Like, <laughs> I, I, like that, I liked that there were actual ramifications for, for all of that. Oh, yes, and it was not like the ongoing investigation that he was worried about, just the getting into college, yes, which is exactly. funny. Yeah. Which is funny. <laughs> so one character we haven't talked about yet, but uh, J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons back as Alex Jones. What did we think? <laughs> I like he was selling yep. vitamin supplements. I thought it was an excellent modern take on the character, and I love J.K. Simmons, so I'm glad he was willing to come back. Yeah, kind of like a good evolution of where they went with him uh, for the video game as well. Oh, where he's like a podcast? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's basically like an AM radio, like Wait, conservative but he, radio host in the game, right? Yeah. He and so at this one, he went further, and now he's like the InfoWars guy or something. <laughs> you are aware that in the comics in the l- recent years, he's been doing podcasting and such, right? I was not, but that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, and I did, I loved the shot of Spider-Man standing in front of that enormous screen of him talking about all of the, you know, horrible things that follow Spider-Man wherever he goes right after Aunt May died. I I really liked that. 
that shot and that scene in general. I kind of got Blade Runner 2049 vibes from that, uh, that shot. I did wonder yeah. who is displaying giant screens of the daily bugle of like the infowars guy just right yeah he did break who spider-man is in a universe where alex jones breaks something that big maybe he gets to be in times square sometimes i'll buy it i don't want to imagine that universe but it it works too well yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, what about uh, three-minute segment that Adam demands be cut? <laughs> I, I I saw that avenue. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I could do it. I just won't because nope. I just demand it be cut. <laughs> yeah. Well, this might be a Kevin question just because I don't remember. Um, what happened to the Statue of Liberty? Why are they? So, and this only... I think was mentioned within this movie. Maybe it was in like Falcon and the Winter Soldier or something, but they, you hear over the TV early on in the movie that they're talking about updating it. So the Statue of Liberty is holding Captain America's shield. So one that they have, I don't remember what the chemical process that causes bronze to turn into a green material is, but they rebronzed it. Yeah. So they shinied it up and then were installing the Captain America shield that obviously did not end up getting installed after the events of this movie. Well, I hated that. And so the MCU is a bad place. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you hated it. He was there to undo that awful desecration of the Statue of Liberty. Wait, we've all gone to Team Charlie? That's not that I hate shields. It's just that I hate desecration of the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) I mean, in the context of Captain America having been the leader seemingly killed of the group of people who brought half of all life in the universe back i feel like maybe that would be a you know a sacrifice worthy of getting your shield thrown on the statue maybe, of liberty maybe make him a, a new statue yeah exactly like he's but, worthy of that <laughs> but like is it going to be a bigger statue right next to the statue of liberty or are we you saying know, the statue of liberty still if, outweighs captain america yeah he is we just had like a garden where people had statues and they could visit it. Mm, I feel like that lacks a certain gigantic shield that the Statue of Liberty is holding to it, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, there's no shield on the Statue of Liberty in our universe, and now there's no shield on the Statue of Liberty in their universe. So what's the problem? The minorest, the minorest <laughs> of spoils going, spoilers going forward in the MCU. In a future MCU movie, they confirm that they gave up on the shield thing entirely, and that the Statue of Liberty is still bronze-looking, but not carrying a shield. Oh, now I'm excited about the future of this this series. <laughs> <laughs> the bold shieldless the, future. <laughs> the promise of no shield. <laughs> Shielding away those huddled masses. i guess when you think about what the torch is supposed to represent maybe changing it to a shield isn't the best (laughs) that's fair fair critique so what's something about this movie that you like that we haven't talked about in the fight when norman goes all green goblin at one point spider-man like jumps up maybe on his shoulders or at least is like he has the high ground and he just starts 
punching Willem Dafoe's face, and Willem Dafoe is just like staring at him, laughing the entire time, <laughs> and that is far and removed my. I think my favorite moment from the movie because it's just so perfect and gets back to my his face is scarier than any mask they could possibly put on him point. It's it's just it's such a great moment. The repeated punching and he's just laughing at the top of his lungs directly at Spider-Man. Excellent. I liked the all the Spider-Men sitting around talking with each other. Specifically about yeah. Tobey Maguire's webs <laughs> coming out of his wrist. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel that, like it took a lot of restraint not to have more of that in the movie. I mean, you could imagine all the riffs that they could go off on for like you know forty five minutes. It has. could be. <laughs> I was grinning like an idiot for like that entire, and it's it's a relatively long like conversation, like a it minute is, yeah. or two when they're talking about like, oh, I wish I'd fought an alien and like all of that. That's where, like I said, the first hour of the movie on rewatches, it wasn't bad, but like you see some weakness in it. But from like that hour point onward, that's the sort of stuff that I could watch nonstop and still get something out of it. Or I kind of later, they have another conversation where Andrew Garfield's character acknowledges he's like Spider-Man three, where they're like numbering the Spider-Man and he's like, yeah, okay, I'm the, I'm like the third Spider-Man. I'm the worst Spider-Man. Like that's fine. All of that. I ate up. God, I love that. I do like the part where Andrew Garfield is sticking to the ceiling by his hand and MJ's like, that's not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) And then his grandma's like, can you get that cop while you're up there? Ned's grandma was surprisingly cool with everything that was going on. (laughs) I will say that the box that they're um, protecting with the button, real Doctor Who 50th anniversary special vibes, because there's also a box with a button that's like a main plot point in that. Is it a mother box? Uh, it's called The Moment. I like, and this I guess relates to the box, whenever a character who is severely underpowered compared to another character is able to like get the one-up on the stronger character. And there was a moment like that when Green Goblin briefly steals the box from Doctor Strange, who should be able to reduce him to atoms if he wanted to, but snuck one of his bombs in there. Just I... I liked that moment. Anytime a weaker character gets that, you know, one up on the stronger character, I thought that was a great moment for for the Green Goblin there. I guess I have a thing that I have a question about, which is the big dramatic moment where Willem Dafoe stabs Tobey Maguire, but then he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's been stabbed a lot. <laughs> I mean, stabbings don't necessarily kill you. I mean, I guess, but it just felt like it was weird. It felt like. Maybe maybe in okay, post-production, okay. they realized they wanted no, no, no. to bring him back in the future and decided not to kill him off. <laughs> yeah. Now, Toby, do one where you don't die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do have a, a thing that we didn't mention that I like then. It was the uh, the exchange at the end of that. You're in a lot of pain right now, aren't you? I <laughs> that was pretty great. Yeah. There we go. I like the interrogation scene with Ned. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, you know, he's just so proud. He's just just such a good friend. (laughs) So they did have the one scene with Hannibal Burris and J.B. Smooth and (laughs) Martin Starr. And I was like, oh, this is all we get. (laughs) They're throwing them all in the same scene and it's over. (laughs) I want to spread out. (laughs) But it was good to see them. Being weird. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, or 
pretty rational in the case of Hannibal Burris. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't actually show him on screen, but I did really enjoy that they acknowledged uh, Paul Giamatti as the rhino. <laughs> like that just that just warmed my heart. Uh, just really appreciated that. I fought a Russian dude in a rhinoceros machine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, that actually reminds me of another thing that I liked about this movie. One of my, I mean, one of many complaints I had about the Venom movies in, you know, the Sony, whatever, villain, Spider-Man, something, something universe, was that I felt that that kind of ruined the opportunity for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man to ever have a Venom plot line because, you know, they're, they already got a Venom. They're not going to do it a second time and just confuse audiences. But the post credit sequence seemed to imply that that was probably a thing that was coming sooner rather than later. So this movie on top of, by virtue of how much I liked Andrew Garfield, making the amazing Spider-Man movies a little better for me, did make me hate the first Venom movie a little less by at least opening the door for that. So ultimately, what'd you think of this movie? Would you try to erase it from existence and no one remembered that it happened? Or would you try and make a bunch of exceptions while the uh, forgetful spell is still being woven? Guess I'm just asking... How many returning villains out of 10 would you give this movie? Because I feel like anything else is like taken up by like Spider-Verse, basically. <laughs> like how many Spider-Mans, how many alternate dimensions. How many Garfields? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew or otherwise. How many improbable cures? Yeah. Can do that if you want. You want improbable cures or villains? Ooh, I kind of like the improbable cures. I do think it'll be... It's one to one, right? To think of half of a villain than half of a cure if we throw halves in there. <laughs> Just the top half of the Greek goblin is cured. <laughs> His legs are still evil. <laughs> oh no, no. It's it's uh it's like the uh the little disc with the green lights, you know, you you uh take it off of Electra when it's only half lit. <laughs> You know, you inject a Green Goblin with only one serum thing. Only two of Dr. Octopus's arms are no longer murderous. The other two still. <laughs> well, I mean, spinal cord and bilateral symmetry and all that stuff, right? Sure. You know? <laughs> I guess we'll leave it up to whoever goes first to make the choice. And that will be Charlie. Let's start with the most unfavorable opinion. <laughs> the easiest way... To rate this as compared to the previous two Spider-Man movies in this series. And I don't think I liked it as much as either of those. I I think the highs were a little bit higher in this with the cameos and some of the interaction between, you know, the different Spider-Men and all of the villains. I I liked all of those things. But then there's like the first half to two thirds of the movie where we don't (laughs) we haven't really gotten to some of that yet. I do remember looking up at the hour and a half mark and being like, wow, like we are not anywhere near the end of this movie. It's like a two and a half hour movie. But I still like the fact there's a lot of gags in the movie, too. They they have a way of keeping it light. Uh, the, and I, but I still at the same time, I still really did like it. So I guess I'll rate it a 7.5 improbable cures out of 10. So a little bit lower than the previous two. Uh, the half a cure being Doc Ock's left side well his his left arms 
and the right side of his face are cured. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I like this quite a bit. It wasn't, you know, perfect, but it was, I feel like it hit everything I wanted it to. The cameos felt like more than a gimmick, you know, amazing performances. I think as far as compared to the previous, previous MCU Spider-Man movies, uh, to me, it lands squarely in between. So that would make it nine improbable cures out of 10. So I think I'm kind of like with Charlie and I didn't like this as much as the other two. Um, I will say the first time watching it, I do think I felt all the cameos were kind of gimmicky and I didn't feel that as much this time. It felt a little more natural. Like I could see the reasoning behind it and that there was more than just an excuse to bring back old faces. So I did like that just based on that and my enjoyment of relative ones, you know, just fitting in with other movies here in the MCU. I'm going to give this eight and a half improbable cures out of 10, which is obviously good. And I mean, you know, maybe it would go up more upon subsequent rewatches. But at this moment, yeah, putting it around the same place as like Infinity War and game like that kind of that feels about right. So the half a cure is is where the lizard gets cured, but he still has a tail. <laughs> he doesn't have his arm anymore, but he does have a tail. So, you know, some positives happening, you know, wasn't a total loss His his lizard based cure <laughs> that he needed to be cured from. With a different cure. You know what? Let's just go on to Doug. (laughs) (laughs) I could listen to this all day. (laughs) Yeah, I could listen to the cure all day too. Um, Yeah, it's a, it was a fun movie. I had some minor quibbles that I didn't get into, but they're not really worth getting into in depth. I enjoyed the almost excessive amount of fan service that they included in this movie. Fan service in the sense of, hey, check out this uh, character from the previous movies. As as we kind of stated, you know, a lot of it just didn't need to happen. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they could have just uh, resolved everything earlier much more easily if uh, Peter could just be more articulate before the wizard starts his spell. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. But then he doesn't learn anything. And the wizard should have should have really made you know it's on him too a little bit. Right? It feels like they should have had a conversation before yeah. whatever pulling the powers of the multiverse in. It had a cast of a lot of heroes and villains in it, and I think they did a much better job with it than say Spider Man Three, the other Spider Man Three did, trying to do a rogues gallery and. You know, that is true. That's a very good point. Well, that's why I saved it for the end. This is an overstuffed movie that I didn't hate for being overstuffed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give it eight and a half villain cures out of ten. All right, Kevin, send us home. Okay. Um, <laughs> I send think us at, home, despite the fact that there is no there way is home. no way. Yes. I don't think anyone going into this movie or certainly discussing it here, has any illusions that this movie came about because someone said, hey, what if we brought back all of these characters that everyone's constantly gushing about? We'll find the whatever excuse we need to to bring back all of this nostalgia and, you know, make a billion dollars. And they succeeded in that that regard. And for me, at least, once you get past the, you know, paper thin excuse for bringing all the characters back, once everyone's back, you know, the villains, at least, you don't have to wait until like the hour and a half mark or whenever they bring the Spider-Mans in. But once 
you've arrived where they wanted to get to, this movie is the best nostalgia. Uh, like I've mentioned, I mean, I I ate up particularly the first two Spider-Man movies growing up. I've seen them dozens and dozens of times. And for me, you know, there's good nostalgia like this, like uh, Picard season three, where absolutely it is it's fan service, but it's it's done generally very well versus taking nostalgia just to milk it for cash. Like, hey, check it out. Professor X is in this movie for no reason. Like, come out and see it. And, you know, it's it just it kind of falls flat. This is not that I think. This is just about the best version of this movie, where they do a live-action Spider-Verse bringing in all of the live-action Spider-Man movies into one film that there could be. As I quibbled about in the beginning of this, you know, there's some plotting that I feel like they could have, you know, made a little bit better. There's there's little nitpicks, but I, I still adore this movie. And like I said, from that roughly hour point forward, this I could watch this, you know, a hundred times on repeat and just love it every time. There were multiple times in rewatching this movie that I was grinning like an idiot just because I I I grew up with this and they did such a great service specifically to uh, Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn and uh, Otto Octavius as played by Alfred Molina. I in the theater as i think i said earlier would have given this an 11 out of 10 on the rewatch with the very minor flaws i can't give it the perfect 10 but i will give it a a 9.5 villain cures out of 10 with that remaining one half being a half of Otto octavius so nine full octaviuses and one quatravius (laughs) (laughs) wait there are nine octs (laughs) mind blown (laughs) (laughs) so thanks for joining us on installment 76 of the merry marvel movie march here in the exciting new year of 2024 hope you enjoyed it uh, and we hope you will join us on our next step of the march that made sense totally wow so we're we're really just we've only made it like (laughs) (laughs) 76 steps (laughs) And an appendix step, where which, made which I guess is like a false a step. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us. We hope you join us for installment 77, uh, where we will watch the highest grossing movie of all time. According to what I'm looking at, it made uh, $352 trillion. <laughs> oh, sorry. Got to round that up because that's a point nine. $353 trillion. And that is the universally beloved movie Morbius. So we hope you join us for that, or at least for the meme talk that I'm sure will happen. So I'm Adam Gobeski. And I'm Charlie Wallace. Uh, we had with us today three three guests without a home. <laughs> we had Doug Gobeski. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. Thank you for having me. Paul Wilcox. It was a pleasure. And Kevin Fredovo. Hey, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you check us out. Don't forget you can visit our website at www.gobeskywallacereport.com. Also, we're on Facebook and Twitter, so make sure to look for us there for extra entertaining bits. You will be entertained. Possibly. Wait. So you're definitely entertained, but only possibly entertained. Well, I don't want to get sued for false advertising. (laughs) 
one thing I forgot to mention real quick is that I like that this is turns out to be a Christmas movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> Wait, I, that I was thinking at the end too. It's like, is this a wonderful life? <laughs> is this it's oh, a no. wonderful life and he like wakes up at it the turns end. out that he decides <laughs> that he shouldn't have existed. <laughs> <laughs> yes the world is a better place without 